Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners to Navigate with I.D. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here today. Uh, let me start, you know, by saying a big thank you to each and every one of you who would have reached out in one way or the other to wish my wife and I a happy anniversary. As you do know, yesterday was our 30th wedding anniversary and um, we tried to make it very low-key and it's still low uh, nonetheless. But, you know, all the very ingraining felicitations could not be dismissed. Thank you so much for all you've sent to us, your blessings, your prayers, kind and warm comments are very well appreciated. And on behalf of my family and my spouse, uh, Dr. Susuena, I'm going to say a big thank you to you guys. Um, what a day it was. Well, yesterday ended last night and today is the day. It's um, our business school on radio and we are back on track away from all the bells and whistles and we are looking at continuing on that beautiful trajectory where we started about the mindset of the business leader if you recall last week we started you know looking at the mindset of the business leader and um, in that whole space we talked about various dimensions of what happens when you you know shift into that space of being a business leader i.e. moving from a functional leader to running one in its totality as either a general manager, title-wise, or a business leader in every regard. Well, today, friends, I want to, you know, kick off from the standpoint of looking at, within that same space, we want to look at one or two elements that could be possible dangers of sitting in the space of a business leader. Could I call them dangers? But it is really encapsulating in a way that stepping in as a business leader has its own space and it has its own consequences. So one consequence of it is you choosing to be a know-it-all general manager or business leader. You cannot afford to be a know-it-all business leader. And I said that in the last episode, and I did try to quote uh, Ram Sharan, um, a gentleman who I've very much appreciated and read a lot of his literature. And I said to you that Ram had suggested that the best way to prepare someone for being a business head is to give him little GM jobs. It's just as letting someone run a smaller business as in an example of how, you know, some companies use smaller businesses to minimize the risk in training their future general managers. And that happens across industries, across sectors. And what it does, it allows a person to begin to grow into the role. It allows, allows the person learn how to make trade-offs and then allows the person focus on multiple priorities simultaneously. I know how many people keep asking me every time. Yesterday, in fact, today, I've had one of my uh, close mentees ask me, he said, CJ, he said, Uncle Idi, I don't know how you do it. How are you able to combine being president of the National Institute of Marketing now with the LBS role as executive residence and, of course, corporate shepherds I know under Corporate Shepherds, you do have Navigate with ID. And beyond that, also, you're an executive coach. I also know that you sit on a judicial panel. And he went on reeling different things and different dimensions. And I looked at him and I said to him, CJ, you know what? This thing has, a, has come as a result of grooming. The grooming didn't start today. You'll get to a point that when you are a general manager, and if you want to be an excellent GM, you learn to make trade-offs. You might 
not really like it, but you need to make some trade-offs. And you need to focus on multiple priorities simultaneously. It is not an easy ride. Now you continually shift attention and emphasis and you're making decisions across a spectrum of roles. At the end, it's with a few view, a full view of how you know you want each element or each unit to perform. So you cannot be a great or excellent general manager if you have not gone through the little wrongs of managing small portions before the very big kahuna will be set on you. You would even understand that with time, you would have built the capacity to take on a lot. Capacity is a big deal. Not many people can cope with capacity. Beside capacity is capability. That There are three letters that sit on both sides. CAP, C-A-P. You have CAP in capacity. You have CAP in capability. And like I always jokingly tell my mentees and people that I coach, that you have ability is one thing. Being able is one thing. That means that you have the know-how. But when you wear the cap of that know-how, you will demonstrate mastery. And then, importantly, you will be described as competence. As competent as you may be described, there are certain competences that will be running as applications run in a system. So you have your phone running right now. It's working. But there are several apps that are working underneath. Those apps are running. Now you have to uninstall for it to totally leave your system. Or you can put some at rest or they get to hibernate. Otherwise, they will run down your battery. That is exactly how it takes to be a general manager. You are the main structure or device. There's the hardware and there's the software. Your skills, your abilities, and your competencies are all embedded in those softwares. And in that different kinds of software that are there, you have different applications playing different roles. So if care is not taken, one application decides to have an overdose of time, runs down the battery. What happens to the device? It shuts down. That's why, you know, many times general managers or business leaders, they fail because for some reason they over-concentrated themselves in a certain area or something happened, something major happened to the business or to their empire and that will pull them down. And that can come in the form of stress. Stress is something that can come into your life as a GM and instantly it will take out most of your applications. Whether you like it or not, the first major element that will suffer is your health. And by the time your health comes to play and you start having issues about BP, you start having issues about this, this, you need to go to the doctors, which is why everyone, I would tell you, friends, make sure that you go for your annual medical checkup, especially those of you at the top, business leaders. Don't joke about it. Stress is a killer. Many people don't know it. I can tell you, very many years ago, I started having some very strange pains in my abdomen. This was about the time I worked for Samsung. Never. You know, until two years ago, I'd never slept in an hospital in all my years until two years ago when I had an unfortunate encounter with sepsis. But before then, way back in, say, 2010, would it be 2010? Yes. This was so serious that I had to see my doctor at that point, Dr. Okupa, and we kept on, you know, when I get that feeling, it would just feel as if my insides were about to bust. And through the night, I would not sleep. Early in the morning, boom, I'll give my doctor a call. I'm at Cooper Medical Center. Before you know it, Dr. Cooper will put me in and then just give me a dose, a sudden injection to calm it. Then at some point, they had to go through all kinds of tests. And I was 
then asked, he now referred me to see some specialists. I went all the way to South Africa. I'm talking 13 years ago, friends. And by the time I went in there, I got into the hospital and for the first time, you know, I was sedated and I went into, I don't know what they took, where they took me. The next time I opened my eyes, my wife was there when I changed and they wheeled me in. The next time I opened my eyes was just my wife and Pastor Dio Adeumi, who was a family friend, resident in South Africa. They were the only two guys I could see and I was still, you know, groggy from the dose of tranquilizers they are pumped into me. And then the doctor showed up and said, you know, we, we went through your entire system. He said, wow, you are a big man. You have some very big intestines or whatever. I'll, I'll leave all the details. But uh, he said, the good news is that we found nothing. Um, it's just, all of this is just stress. And it's good enough that you've been under watch because this can degenerate into other things. Why am I sharing this with you? Because friends have been there. Now, there are so many people that are picking up diseases now that are internal. They don't understand that it's coming from stress. And why is that? You take on a role, a promotion as a business leader. And then you then start doing everything and every, the applications underneath. Remember the analogy of your phone. The device, the hardware is you. You're standing. Everybody see you. Oh, Mr. Macho. But there are apps that are running. How are you able to manage those apps? Your skills, your abilities, and everything is playing out. So as a GM, maybe as a functional manager, you are the marketing or head of marketing. Now, you're a general manager. You are going to be responsible for that marketing oversight. You are going to be responsible for payroll oversight. You are going to be responsible for revenue generation. You are going to be responsible for cost management. You are going to be responsible for ensuring that all the meetings and the ethics and the compliance of the company. You are sitting well with regulators. You are going to be responsible for managing the internal and external publics. Those are applications that are running under this rule. But friends, you must learn to make trade-offs. If you don't, it will hit you. But one of the things that a lot of people do when they become business leaders is that they don't see this coming. They are so much enthused with the role and they want to show that they can do it. That it's through their liberty, their sense of duty to self away. The first thing I will tell you, friends, there is a danger of being a know-it-all business leader. There is a danger, or could I say there are dangers of being a know-it-all GM or business leader. Be careful. Whenever I have the privilege as an executive coach to counsel senior leaders, executives, because you cannot coach anyone if you've not gone through that experience. So it's always a pleasure for me as a coach to sit with CEOs, to sit with directors, because I've been there. To sit with GMs, whether AGM, DGM, whatever, as long as GM is there, I can take you all the way back in time because I have also been a benefactor of that process. And I'm talking way back, way back as 20 years ago that God granted me grace to step in to the senior executive cadre. And so in this life of mine, I've seen so many things, but being a know-it-all GM or business leader, there's a danger. So when I coach and counsel C-suite executives, CEOs, and all of them, I will tell them that there is a need for you to appear confident. There is a need for you to combine that confidence with several attributes of know-how. Now, there's also a need for you to get good feedback. But if you fail to combine your know-how, confidence with good feedback, that is, there's a lack of good feedback, 
available to you as a senior executive, it can lead you so quickly and easily to arrogance and egotism. Egotism and arrogance are the things that can destroy. But you don't see it because you'll be walking on a plane. You'll be on a high. As a new business leader encounters situations for which he or she has no experience and no clear cause of action, that is exactly what happens when you're just appointed, promoted, nominated, or asked to, you can be nominated to act as GM. You are acting GM. You can be promoted into being a business leader or GM. You can be transferred to become one. Maybe a lateral move. So you're already a GM, and they're now asking you to move from one department or function to another. So there are dimensions to it. That's why I said it is an encounter that comes with most new GMs. Arrogance becomes a shield to ward off the fear. Why? Because the person wants to show that he or she is up to the task. But when you show so much arrogance, it shows that you are not up to the task. So to help you guard against this attitude, you need to be aware of some dangers during this transition or passage when you're just appointed a new general manager or business leader. Number one, having this apathy or disdain for functions or the departments or whatever. Do you know there's nothing as bad as having some preconceived ideas and those preconceived ideas begin to rule you? What am I saying? You were in a business or you are in a business, you get promoted to become a senior leader. You were once a functional leader. There's a tendency that you go into that job with a lot of bias. Or you might just come in from outside and you appointed the new MD, GM, or director, or whatever, the managing director. There is that tendency to go into the job with biases against functions in which you have never worked. For example, there's a general bias that finance guys, when you come in, the finance guys are there, they might just want to frustrate whatever you want to do. There's that tendency that they rather want to run into and make sure that HR, I just believe that HR's job is to do X, Y, Z. It's a bias. Human resources director or head of human resources is a business partner, a critical business partner. The job is not for hiring and firing, no. Many business leaders come with that bias. They say HR, anything is HR. No, you are the chief HR officer. It's about people, people, and people. You must kill that bias and see that you are joint or co-workers when it comes to people. So when you get in, this is a common danger when you have a disdain for certain departments or functions because you've just been appointed a business leader. Don't go into that job with biases against functions that you never worked. You can call them names. Maybe you used to call the finance guys. These guys are just there to be counting pennies. Or you can look at, like I said, HR people as they don't understand the business. Their job is to hire and fire. Don't. Or better still, my constituency, you just look at maybe someone who has come in from supply chain or finance, being made the GM or managing director, will look at the marketing and salespeople. Say, so these ones, they are forever just spending, Sha. They just want to be, they are spenders. They don't understand it. And most people believe that marketing people are all sizzle and no stick. And as a result, with all of these biases, they don't learn to use all the functions in a way that will make them and the business successful. So rather than leveraging what each of these functions bring to the table, you allow your bias affect you. At the end, the business suffers. But what do they do? This mistake 
of being a know-it-all GM, what is the error? You find that when you step into that kind of enclave, you become over-reliant on the functions with which you are comfortable. So if you are coming from finance, you were in finance and you are now made the managing director or general manager, what happens? You are you tend to skew everything you're doing to the finance team. Or you give them, and those ones still will be saying, you know, it's a person that is MD or GM. You're killing the business and you're destroying the fabric of the organization. You won't realize it because you're tilting to a place of comfort that you once worked in. Even if those functions should not be driving the business, you make them sit in front. Why? Because you are so certain that that function of yours is critical for business success. You lie, my friend. Mistake. Because when you make that error, you can never view other functions objectively. So what is the big lesson here? Do not have any bias. Don't step into a business leader position with biases. You know, it's pretty much the same way when people take up public assignments and jobs especially in dispensations like ours, where you have multi-party systems. So a gentleman or lady who wins the ticket for the party to become a certain individual in that ministry, department, agency, or even governor, executive capacity, you will sit in, because of the bias you have, that members of this opposition will never do right. Yet you have an expert that you could utilize, you could that's another way to have a disdain. No, you don't. You tend to now look inwards into your own space, whereas the better person is on the other side. Is it about the person? It's about the institution or the organization or about the people. If it is about the people, it's about the citizens, then act right and do right. Don't be a know-it-all. The second common danger you find is where people have this myopic view on performance and by extension, results. Now, performance and business results are very important. And do not make any mistake. It is understandable that when you are given a PL responsibility, so when I'm talking business leader, general manager, I'm talking about having a PL responsibility. You're saying, what is PL? Profit and loss responsibility. If you do not have a PL responsibility and your title is a business leader or general manager, you are just a mere function head. You don't have PL responsibility. You're not a general manager, you are a sub manager. So when you are given PL responsibility for the first time, you are naturally eager to deliver profits and avoid losses. It is natural. Oh, I want to be able to post some fantastic profits and then you become Mr. Adhesive, Anka Glue. You would not allow anybody spend. You want to cut losses. You want to make sure expen expenses go down. You would not approve LPOs. You set up systems. There's nothing wrong with actually setting up systems to be efficient and effective, but you must understand the whys. Listen, friends, the financial scorecard for a business, unlike a functional budget or objectives, is displayed for everyone to see. So when you have a, a financial scorecard for a business, because that will be seen, is a public quota company, they will see it. I don't have to go take permission, it's there because they need to make their returns. Annual. At the annual general meeting, they'll post those results. So financial scorecards for a business is displayed for everyone to see. But a different case when you are talking about a functional budget or a departmental budget, that one is not obvious for everyone to see. So it's within the function because the function reports to the corporate. With this singular item, it makes general managers acutely and consistently aware of their results. When you work in a large corporation and a large entity, it is not unusual for the big boys at the top, call them the presidents, call them 
the executive general managers, call them the group MDs, you know, call them whatever in those big, multi-faceted, uh, large corporations. Those guys at the top, it's not unusual for them to eye each other's results and engage in overt competition about who is more successful and therefore more deserving of promotion. That happens at the top. Once upon a time, I was the chief of staff to a division president at the Coca-Cola company. We were running Equatorial Africa. And my boss then, Larry Drake, was president and I was his chief of staff. I'll tell you, there were 25 pres division presidents that managed the Coca-Cola business across the world. And sometimes when we go for meetings in Atlanta, it will just... I would have the privilege. I consider it a privilege that God gave to me. I'll probably be one, two, just two of us um, is that will sit in the same room when they are having preparatory work. And I'll see all the division presidents across the table, Asia, Middle East, Africa, UK, Europe, Eurasia, and all that. They're all having meetings and they're preparing because they're going to meet the chairman. You can feel, you can see it, the overt competition play out because each of them want to come in to look good. Friends, when we come back, I'm going to stretch this part because you can't afford to be an all-knowing all or know-it-all gym. That's why you have people to support you. Don't go away, friends. We'll be back. We just want to pay some bills. This is Navigate with ID. Welcome back, my dear friends. They still navigate with ID and Ang, and uh, this is your business school on radio. Friends, it's been an exciting time. We are continuing on um, the beautiful uh, conversation about the mindset of the business leader. And this time around, we have been looking at the context of what it takes for a general manager to be well prepared, and if I put the African balance to be well cooked, to be an excellent general manager. It means you need to learn to make trade-offs. It means that you are required to focus on multiple priorities simultaneously. And you need to continually shift attention and emphasis and make the right decisions with a full view of how one decision might affect other alternatives. It's a very tough job, friends. When you see GMs, you need to bury for You need to salute them. It's not an easy job to be a business leader because, you know, I've said it before, that um, someday God will grant me grace and the strength uh, to write a book on, um, you know, the CEO's um, desk. And coming from my experience, uh, I always used to say that, come, it's a thankless job. A business leader or CEO job is a thankless job. Why? Your problem is your problem. The company's problem is your problem. The people's problem is your problem. Now, everybody's problem is yours. Nobody will ever come up and say, do you have a problem and how can I help you, sir? Whereas everybody brings their problem to your feet. That is how that office looks at the top. I've been there and I've seen it in multiple dimensions and hearts. And so when you are faced with making simultaneously shifting decisions, because one decision will affect another, you must, or other alternatives, you must be good at what you do. Otherwise, it will take you down. And so in the first half, we were looking at the dangers of being a know-it-all business leader. And I did say that there are two or three things that could be responsible. One is when you come into that role as a business leader or GM or CEO with a preconceived notion and a disdain for other functions. So, for example, you are professionally sitting in the finance world. So when you take the top seat, you are only going to encourage your finance team to be the ones that will lead 
or you the body language will be towards finance more and you feel more comfortable getting them to lead aspects of the business. Or maybe you're coming from supply chain and logistics. The tendency is for you to lean on them more. And then you look at the HR, you look at marketing and sales, and you look at everybody. These ones don't get it. Or whether you're from, you know, HR and you don't feel, listen, guys, it's for me, it's really putting the building blocks in place. That disdain of buyers can affect you and it can destroy the fabric of the organization and the business itself. The second thing I said, which we're on before we kind of took the break, was when you are too myopically focused on performance and results, remember, it is when a man or woman has a PL responsibility that you can call them GMs. Not every general manager is a general manager. A general manager without a PL responsibility is just an ordinary manager, not different from a head of function who just has a functional budget. You're not different. Sometimes you can even be there as a space holder. Because when the space owner comes, you leave. It's called GM special duties. You don't have your job is like rice and beans, this and that. You're not a PL responsible GM, then stay. We are not talking about you. But if you are, then you know that the financial scorecard for the business is something that will be very open to the public. And so once that happens, you'll see GMs down begin to jostle and try to outdo themselves, especially when you get into very mega corporations. I worked for some mega companies so I can speak to that effect. And God, in his infinite mercy and grace, gave me an unprecedented privilege to really sit you know, with the committee of very senior executives around the world. And I say this with every mark of respect and duty. So when you find yourself, you know, having sat in very senior levels, at, when I was with Cadbury and then when I was with Coca-Cola Company, when I was with Samsung and also with L'Oreal, I can tell you, man, I've seen things. I've experienced them firsthand. So these are more like um, thrift lessons from the top. Very many GMs in that kind of multi-faceted setting or large corporations, they tend to eye each other's results and engage in overt competition about who is more successful and therefore more deserving of the promotion. You know why? So take Africa, for instance. At the time, we were four MDs. Were we four? Maybe three. There was my... I handled West. There was a guy East... And then there was a guy south, okay? So three. And maybe the number one spot in Africa will come from either. You'll find that everybody, you know, begins to look at, oh, this region president or this regional MD uh, will be the next um, country, I beg your pardon, continental. And you find all of them, there's some competition. And if care is not taken, that may you know, cause some tilt to the overall business. But some GMs must also learn that hard results need to be balanced with softer responsibilities, such as developing people and shaping a culture. This is where I reside. In my own journey and trajectory, I spend a lot more time with the software. The software is developing people and shaping a culture. I was saying to a client of mine that I say this with every sense of responsibility that I designed a route to market framework for a certain company where I was um, head of the function and I, about 16 years ago, you can do the math, I'm not going to call the company. And they're still running that route to market till today. That framework is still running after 16 years. That's what I believe in the future. That's why I shape cultures and develop people because the people you develop and the culture you shape will outlast you. In the long run, these responsibilities will always affect the bottom line as much as, if not more than, creating a strategy and driving towards objectives. So for me, this is where the energy, when you step into a job as a business leader, stop thinking about 
the now. Think about the future. So you may say to me, okay, give me another example. I'll use the National Institute of Marketing of Nigeria. I'm on my second term, maybe two or three months into my second term as president. I have held a clear and strategic plan to say NIMN is 20 years this year. What would NIMN look like in 2025 if we are celebrating the 25th anniversary since it was gazetted and signed off as an act of parliament, act number 25 of 2003? By all intents and purposes, it's 20 years now. What would it look like in 2025? To make this happen, this is the roadmap. Three things. Number one, you're going to focus on making sure that you do stuff that would drive solid. You groom the people well, develop the people, and it's around learning and development. It's around membership, the quality of the membership, the quality of the people. It's looking at each of the different strata and making sure that people are well-built. It's shaping a culture of duty, honor, responsibility. That is what it takes to be a marketer. That the responsible marketer must understand that in transiting from being a marketer to a business leader, there are certain values and ethics I must put in. This is what is important for me now because that's the future I'm looking at and not looking at the now. No, the now is part of the future because the present is what makes the future. So in the long run, it must affect the bottom line. So when you create a strategy and drive towards objectives, business leaders, business heads, must recognize that they can only sustain strong performance and results by juggling multiple priorities. In certain instances, they need to make trade-offs. You cannot go it all alone. There must be a trade-off. Now, when we started reading and studying elementary economics, I'm an economist. Remember Adam Smith talked about the concept of the opportunity cost, the foregone alternative. You must be ready to make trade-offs, sacrificing some of their time. Business executives, leaders, heads must sacrifice some of their time and the business's money, or if you don't want to call money, resources, to communicate with people or to develop the next generation of leaders or leadership. But what you find is that that is not done well. And when you don't do that well, there's a problem. It's called the lack of understanding of the future. It's about the softer responsibilities. Because some general managers see people as costs. They don't see as investment. So if you're coming and you say, um, how many people do we have here? We have 100. No, cut it down to 80 or 70 because I want to save money for the company. I want to make more profit. You want to be more profitable than the people that will create the profits. People determine results. And so, if you take on a job, you must understand and recognize that you can only sustain strong performance and results by doing the needful. What is that needful? Making trade-offs. Sacrificing some of the time and the resources of the business, i.e. cash, i.e. time, to communicate with and using the same cash and time to develop the next generation of leaders and the leadership pipeline. The truth is, you may never have had to make this trade-off before because you were just a functional leader or expert. But now you are now a general manager. In this new role, in this new role as a business head, you have to do it. You have to learn to make them in real time. You must learn to make people in real time, not out of time. The third danger, if you are a business head, business leader, or a GM, that you've just taken up that role. If you fail to challenge the status quo, 
if you fail to challenge the status quo or the current business model, you are already planning to fail. You know, this is a very challenging issue for businesses who take over from a very strong leader. Because they just believe that, ah, this man must have known it all. No. This man must have done everything. No. You must challenge that model. Because when you challenge the model, it's like the elements. You know, it's there's a proverbial um, way the, the good book books it. It's like building your house on the sand and building your house on the rock. Then the rains will come. They will, they, it will check whether the roof is okay. The winds will come. Will check the foundation if that foundation of that building is solid. Strong, boisterous winds will carry the house if the foundation is not sure. The roof will go and everything will go. And if the rains come, the foundation can be. So if you built your house on sand and a strong wind backed by very serious torrential rain hits, what do you think the house will do? It will crumble. But if it's on a rock, solid rock, the rains can come, the elements can shout, the sun can hit at the highest, it will stand. Friends, a challenging issue for business heads who take over from a strong leader to whom they owe their promotion is always a failure to challenge the business model or what they are doing. They feel very beholden to carry on the strategy and traditions of their mentor or former boss. You want to keep on, oh, I, I cannot touch it. Oga must have done something. No, don't do that. You must challenge. You must check if the foundation is right. Many of us get sentimental. There's no sentiments in business, my friend. Yes, you look at things and you look at them differently. Every time I stepped into a CEO or a general management role, yes, I'll take over from whoever was there, either as my former boss or whatever, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to challenge the model because that's what's going to give me the impetus to be able to write the good things and whatever that person has done that are instrumental to run, let it continue. But by no means, I'm going to take it through some analysis. I mean, this is something that we'll talk about. I can tell you, say this over and over without any flinch because I know how it feels. It feels disloyal to deviate significantly from the norms that have been established. It feels that this man had started something. That's why our politicians, when they take over from their bosses or whoever, the anointed takes over from the appointed. They just feel I have to be loyal because my guy is still there. And that's why we have problems. If the man was just sitting on an empire of nothing, then nothing is created. Why? Because it feels disloyal to deviate significantly from the norms that have been established. Yet, challenging the business model is something all GMs must do regularly. It's something everyone must do regularly, friends. It is a passage in which leaders have to establish their own point of view. You have to create your own theory of the case. Because if you don't create your own theory of the case, you won't understand how to solve the case. In the past, very many GMs have simply adopted the point of view of their boss. But I'll be honest with you, it is an un unacceptable behavior for a GM. You don't have to adopt the point of view of your boss that was there. You have to think through it again and say, is there anything that may have been missing here? But if you swallow it hook, line, and sinker and run with it, it's like wearing another man's robe. David was going to go to war with Goliath. King Saul gave him his armor and he, he put it on and the man could not move. He said, oh God, I, 
I can't dress in borrowed robes. Please allow me to go in my natural element and the way I'm comfortable. And he took off King Saul's armor and everything and he decided to wear his shepherd's attire, holding his staff, which symbolizes authority. And of course, he had his pellets with him. At the end, he had victory. We've also read accounts of kings that go to war in borrowed robes or wear attires of other kings and they are the ones that are shot and killed. Mistaken identity. Do you know that in corporate, there are mistaken identities? You go wear the robe of your former boss. Isn't that catastrophe? Because the minute you step in anywhere, the fragrance in the room is the former, not the new. There is nothing wrong with you coming to say, I want to stress test this model if it is working. But many leaders fall into this trap. They fall into the trap of being the good boys they want to be in touch. They want to be relevant. They want to be seen as being loyal. Friends, let me submit to you that learning to question an inherited strategy or system is tremendously difficult for some new business heads, especially if they are surrounded by alumni who helped the previous general manager create that strategy or to devise a system. Everybody must resist change, but it is absolutely critical and essential at this leadership level and for all levels above this one that they must stress test. You must be able to recreate and look at it again and ask yourself, does this strategy work? Is this strategy working? Very many years ago, when I joined a company, I was commercial director. I wasn't even an MD. I was in charge of three functions in one. There was a particular TV program that had always been the toast of every single person all around. And the minute I joined, I started asking questions. I started from the team. I called the research manager. She's late now, late Debbie. Fantastic person she was. I said, can I have, do you have any research that tells me that this TV program is providing the value for the sum of money that we are paying? She said to me, I have it, sir. We did this research and these are the findings. When I went to the findings, it was clear that the TV program did not have any benefits bestowed again. It was living on past glory. And now I'm going to shield this because I won't call names, neither would I call the company or the program. But I'll let you understand that the fact that I, I checked, I wanted to see facts supporting why this TV program should still be gaining so much budget and still be on air relative to where the brand was and what needed to happen. When she gave me that report, I looked at it and I said, this thing is just living in its past. It's lost its glory. Once upon a time, it was relevant, but it's no longer relevant. I said, I'm pulling it down. The whole earth and his mother was going to shake. The alumni meaning those I met in the company because I came into the company from the outside. I was hired, but I was ahead. I was overseeing sales, marketing, and operations, so I was ahead. And so the book would stop on my desk, and I said, we are taking this out. Write the supplier and tell them that effective December, January 1 next year, we are stopping this program. It's not going to happen next year. Coincidentally, the man or the corporate entity that was supplying this particular service to us met me at the airport with a very senior industry person who were flying, I think, to Benin, and they were going to Calabar. And he said to me, you are a friend. I hear you are going, you've said they should stop the program. And I said, yes. I said, it's not adding any value. He said, you can't do that. I've known you. You've come a long way right from your days now that we've been working together. I said, it's not about me. It's about the brand. It's about the business. Cut a long story short, I had several, one or two meetings with them. 
And I told them I was pulling that program. And I pulled it. That program died effectively during my, my tenure. It died. No intense. But my predecessor, oh, it was something that had been running and become a household item, but it was not delivering value to the business. Why would I continue? I can go on and on and give you examples. In the same vein, I stepped out and I said, why are we doing this? All you take is to ask the why. Why are we doing this? And people are going to start stammering. And when they start stammering, you know that there isn't a clear objective. It's just sentiments. I recall very vividly when we had to reduce the grammage of a certain candy within the company I worked for at some point. Everybody in the company felt I was crazy. How would they come? This is the whole thing that this brand has been built upon. I said, said who? Who says? And we are not making money? Sorry, it's going to come down. So we brought it down from this almighty grammage to another manageable grammage. Today, it's standing strong. Immediately after that, we sold tens of thousands of tons of that same product. And we were able to take it across West Africa and beyond. Friends, there is something called business leadership. It starts with thought leadership and it ends with results-oriented leadership. In between lies the people leadership and more importantly, personal leadership. If you must be a business leader of repute, you must ensure that every pillar within your leadership trajectory stands well. Well, friends, we'll come back on Thursday by the grace of God and we'll start looking at the role of paradox in business. That will be an exciting thing to look at. Don't go away, friends. On Thursday, make sure you clock in at the right time. God bless you and God bless you real good. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.